Bob. Hi, How you Sandy. doing? Good. You getting uh, ready for the weekend? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, don't get out much anymore with the corona, the winter, yeah. and the corona, uh-huh. and the winter, the corona. Yeah. And the... <laughs> we don't get out much either. No. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, have you heard that vaccine news? Yeah, right? no, Isn't that yeah, crazy? No, no, I don't want to talk about the vaccine. Oh. I don't want to talk about quarantine. Uh, okay. I don't want to talk about COVID or any of these clusters. <laughs> I, I'm kind of corona crazy right now. Yeah, I hear you. Well, let's change the subject then. Uh, what about the Capitol building? No. No, no I'm no. not going to talk about politics or this president or the last uh, president. And we definitely don't <laughs> want to talk about the impeachment. I'm just like, no news, none of the time. Uh, okay, I, okay. Let's try again. Um, oh, this sounds pretty safe. How about Netflix? What are you watching on Netflix? Have you seen that new dystopian science fiction, you know, with George Clooney? Yeah, you know, uh, why is it that there's always new, but you know, it's not new. No. I mean, it's always George Clooney. He's rescuing a bunch of dystopian 20-year-olds. And every year, like, he's a year older and they're still 20. Lord, he's older than I am. <laughs> How about this? How about this? How about something hot and steamy? Oh, wait a minute. Jane Austen did that, right? I want something different. I'm thinking about a Presbyterian soap opera. A what? A Presbyterian soap opera? Yeah. Uh, Bob, I'm thinking you're not in the best mood, are you? <laughs> no, I've been in a bad I mean, mood. Maybe, for about... you, maybe you should lay off the remote control if you hey, know what I mean. Hey, look, <laughs> I have not been in the best mood for about 12 months. Call it 2020. <laughs> I, I'm just looking for something different, you know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of want the normal, but I can't even remember what the normal was. Yeah, I understand. I, I want something new, too. Not something just new in my Netflix queue. I want something new in me. What do you mean? Well, I'd like my Netflix for the next year uh, to say, you might be interested in being more Christ-like or living to a higher standard. Or, or maybe it could say, you know, because you watched uh, Church Online... Maybe you'd like try being a better wife, yeah. or mother, or our friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, or or how about binge watch the season of Lent yeah. Yeah. <laughs> episodes of your family loving God and loving others. God, how great. about that? Yeah, that's great. You got more? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I I see it. I see it not just for me. Not just in my queue, but everybody's seeing the same thing. Yeah. You know, Christian, the word Christian seems to be just referring to a voting group or something. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I just like to see Christ back in Christian. Right, right. How, how is Jesus seen? You know, how about the Christians in Acts? Yeah. Yeah. I just think, I think we're called to something higher than yeah. what we've been seeing. Yeah, the world and, and Netflix, they just seem to want to fit us into to, to their content, yeah. you know? Yeah. Suggestions for what we should see, right. uh, for what we are supposed to be inside. Right. Let's be clear. Netflix is not my daddy. <laughs> yeah. 
and I, I think for 2021, you know, I, I think I can be better. I think we can be better with, with God's help. Yeah. Right? With God's help. God's help. We can't forget that part. No. No, no uh, I've pretty much uh, got my remote control for the weekend. <laughs> uh, in a little time, it's, it's, it's really nice to talk. Yeah. And I just kind of miss seeing people, you know? Oh, me too. Uh, I miss everybody. Well, you know, I, I got a little time. The groceries can wait. We can talk a few more minutes. And I want to hear, you know, exactly what a Presbyterian soap opera well, is going to look like. I'm not sure. Yeah. We're kind of in the formative state. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking the pastor as played by Joe Exotic. <laughs> We're going to have to work on the elders. Oh, and the definitely. Yes, the women's auxiliary. There'll probably be a vote. We're going to need a lot of cages. Oh, a, a lot. lot of cages. So we're a few weeks uh, into this new year. And, you know, something you hear this time of year is new year, new me. And I want to ask you, how, how would you complete this sentence? In 2021, one way I'd like to grow is blank. Think on that for a minute. Now, here's another sentence to complete. In 2021, one way I'd like to see Grace Mills River grow is fill in the blank. Think on that one as well. So you're catching us uh, at the tail end of a sermon series considering how Jesus promises to make all things new. And this morning, I want to look at just one specific way uh, that Jesus finishes each of those sentences. Jesus tells us that he wants us to be people who love one another as he has loved us. I don't have to tell you that the American church uh, is rather infamous this last year for infighting, for disunity, rather than deep love for one another. Uh, simply put, the American church uh, is facing a crisis of discipleship. And here's what a pastor friend of mine uh, tweeted recently. At Redeemer, which is the church that he attends and pastors, we talk about defeaters, barriers that keep people from hearing the gospel. They've mostly been rational, the Bible's reliability, science, suffering. Defeaters today are ethical. Is Christianity racist, sexist, nationalist, bigoted? Our discipleship must become our apologetic. So discipleship is all about answering the question, who does Jesus call us to be together and on our own according to his word? And it's apparent that we aren't listening to him very well because of our lack of love for one another. So I've titled my message today, uh, New Year, New Us, uh, because Jesus begins with us in his quest to make all things new. And we're going to drill down on why we can become disciples who love one another uh, even as he has loved us. We're going to look at this text uh, in four different movements this morning. 
Uh, first, the setting for the commandment, the scope of it, the power to obey, and the outcome of our obedience. So the setting, the scope, the power, and the outcome. So if you're able, even from home, uh, just as an embodied form of respect uh, for God's word to us, I wonder if you might uh, stand, hold your coffee, it's okay, for the reading of God's word. Our central text for today is found in John 13. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So first, the setting of this commandment. Uh, A few years back, uh, The Atlantic uh, published an article called 12 Ways to Mess Up Your Kids. It turns out that the tone of voice and uh, and the words that parents choose to communicate uh, household rules matter immensely uh, to our children. And let me ask the kids uh, watching this, uh, let me get your attention just for a minute. Would you rather your parents tell you what to do when they're in a good mood? Or when they're furious, when they're angry. What do you think? Good mood, bad mood? Brilliant. Of course, it's a good mood. You know, the article uh, goes on to say what we already guessed at. Um, we knew sort of deep down that, the, that empathizing with a child while setting a limit bears better outcomes later than scolding and punishing the child. Surprise, surprise. So when and in what context a command is given is important in Scripture as well. And commandments, what what God tells us we ought to do with our lives, they're always given in a setting of deep love. Uh, For instance, the Ten Commandments, which are given in Exodus chapter 20, are preceded by, by God reminding his people of his deep love for them and setting them free from 400 years of oppression in Egypt. So he, he tells them, he, he liberates them first, he reminds them of what he's done for them, and then he tells them how they ought to live. And we see this in John 13 as well, which is the prelude uh, to the upper room discourse, which uh, was Jesus' final hours with his disciples before his trial and his crucifixion And with his waning hours, Jesus, um, he tells them, he commands them uh, to love one another. Um, But this is after he does something really interesting. And you may know, it's he washed his disciples' feet. So he washes his disciples' feet before he tells them to love one another. And it's important to know in the ancient world uh, that foot washing was reserved for servants. Uh, Do you remember that uh, show... Uh, Dirty Jobs with Michael Rowe. So this would have been uh, easily the first episode in the ancient world of Dirty Jobs um, because, you know, people back then, they just wore sandals. 
on these dusty roads where animals walked and they, you know, certainly relieved themselves. And so this was a clearly a dis- really a disgusting job. And the lowest people in society, sort of the, the servants, this was reserved for them. But it wasn't beneath Jesus. And just before he washes his feet, uh, John records this in the first part of John 13, which helps us understand our passage uh, for today. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And it's this love for his disciples that drives him to to love them in this extraordinary way and, and becoming a servant and washing their feet. He does that before he commands them to do a thing. Other discipleship programs work the opposite way. So every person watching this and really every person in the world uh, is following someone. But every other discipleship program, whether it's Jesus or someone else, um, whoever you're following, it always works the opposite way that we just see or that we see here in John 13. You see, um, other discipleship programs say, do this, don't do that, eat there, certainly don't eat at that place, and you will have the good life. You will be accepted. You will be loved. But with Jesus, it's I love you. I accept you because of my sheer grace alone. Therefore, listen to me. And we want to listen to people who love us. So extravagant love is the setting of Jesus' commands. And now let's look at the scope of the commandment. So Jesus uh, called it the new commandment. Um, But the command uh, for God's people to love one another is not new. Uh, as As far back as Leviticus 19, God's people were told to love their neighbors as themselves. But the Greek word for new uh, here in John uh, means previously unheard of. So what was new was the scope, the scope of God's, God's love or their love, the extent to which they ought to love one another. As one New Testament scholar said, uh, the measure of love for their neighbor was no longer their love for themselves, but Jesus' love for them. In other words, we must meet the needs of one another with all the energy, with all the eagerness, with all the joy that Jesus meets our needs. That's what Jesus is saying. He is now the standard. He has raised the ante, as it were. He's the standard, not ourselves. Now let's talk about what love is. So I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Uh, Anybody else? I see all your hands. Um, I love Bob Dylan records. So I've I've recently discovered uh, his gospel records. He had three of them. Wow, amazing. I love hiking. I could go on and on about the things that I love, but was that the kind of love that Jesus had in mind when he's washing his disciples' feet? Jesus isn't telling us to have feelings of fondness towards other Christians who voted for the other guy. He isn't saying that we must admire those with whom we sharply disagree and those who can't seem to get out from underneath our skin. 
do you think that Jesus felt the good vibes in the room when he's washing the feet of the man who was about to betray him? No. But we, we learn from this text that he loved them to the end. He didn't have this emotional feeling towards them, but he loved them all the same. So Jesus wants us to have a certain kind of love for one another called agape love. Um, and this word's an important word, and the New Testament shows up over 143 times. And, and last Monday, um, just to kind of get at what agape means, uh, I was reading uh, a piece by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, called An Experiment in Love, and he really unpacks what agape love means. Before I read just a, a few sentences from that article, I want to just say that, you know, we think it's really hard in 2021 uh, to love uh, other Christians. You know, the, uh, the internet, uh, social media, you know, I don't want to minimize sort of the impact that they have on um, sort of division. But, you know, really, our day and age does not hold a candle uh, to the kinds of, uh, the experience of hatred and disunity uh, that Martin Luther King Jr. experienced. And, and the, the reality is that they, um, the, the kind of hatred that he was experiencing was from people who professed faith in Christ. And they wanted nothing, many of them uh, wanted nothing more than to delete black people out of their schools, out of their businesses, and even their churches. And he went on to write about agape love, about and this is what he said. I, I want you to uh, turn your attention to what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, Agape is a willingness to go any length to restore relationship. Since the white man's personality is greatly distorted by segregation and his soul is greatly scarred, he needs the love of the Negro. The Negro must love the white man because the white man needs his love to remove his tensions, insecurities, and fears. Agape is not a weak, passive love. It is love in action. Agape love is seeking to preserve and create community. It is insistence on community, even when one seeks to break it. So where did King get this power to pursue relationship with those who wanted nothing more to, than to see his demise? And how could he put his love in action toward his hateful enemies who shared the same faith? It turns out that it's the same place that we find power to pursue one another to the end. And that's my third point, the power to obey. Let me ask you, do you need help Loving other Christians? Do you need help loving other people in our church? Do you need help loving family members who confess faith in Jesus but who think and act and speak very differently than you do? Me too. The way to have this kind of love, though, that, as King said, seeks to create and preserve community, to insist on it, even when others try to break it, is first simply to admit that you need it. 
that you can't manufacture it on your own. As the prophet Hosea said in the reading from earlier, our love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Our love is fleeting. However, we don't have to settle for this fleeting love, this feeble love that we may be accustomed to showing and also receiving from other Christians and that the American church is now infamous for. We don't have to settle for that kind of love. You see, God does not merely command that we should love one another. He does. Nor does he just show us how to love. He does that too. But God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. It was our sin of canceling one another, of those that we don't agree with, that held Jesus there on the cross. It was our refusal to admit when we're wrong that led Jesus to his demise. He died for the hypocrisy, the bigotry, the infighting that we're now famous for. However, even though we had a broken relationship with God, and that's what sin always does, it breaks relationship, God insisted upon knowing us and loving his enemies to the end. We don't deserve his love, but God knows that we need it to heal. Our souls that are scarred by death, scarred by disunity, scarred by hatred, scarred by abuse, scarred by anger, scarred by jealousy. God knows we need his love to heal. And here's the thing about love. God is the source of all of it. 1 John 1.4 says famously, God is love. And the kind of love is agape. God will go any length to pursue relationship with us. He wants to heal us. And this is another reason why we need our Bibles so much because it's, it's very easy and very tempting even to project our sort of feelings, our, our, our feeble love uh, onto God. The ways that we treat each other, we fear that maybe God will treat us like that. But the good news of Christianity is that God will never come begrudgingly to heal and forgive sinners. He will never hold his nose at the stench of our sin. He will never keep us at arm's length. The cross proves that he alone can wash away the grit and the grime of our sin just as he washed away the grit and the grime of his disciples' feet. But friends, he didn't merely die that we could be united to him. He did. He died also so that we could be united in him. That's his family. 
The cross still brings unity among former enemies today. And the resurrection means that where there's death in our relationships, God can bring life. And the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in our hearts, to make them soft where they may be hard today, towards a fellow believer, towards a family member. Is there hardness in your heart? The Spirit comes to make them soft. So ask through faith in Him. Enemies become family so we can love our family who feel like enemies. Before we move to our final point, I want to show you a scene from a very probably familiar movie um, that illustrates this sort of power to lean in uh, across differences uh, and become family in Jesus. So here's a clip. Anybody know what this place is? Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies listen to their souls man I killed my brother with malice in my heart hatred destroyed my family you listen you take a lesson from the dead If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. we don't come together we will be destroyed we are a team grace community church we are family in jesus because of the blood that was spilled on that cross he has won the war with sin and death and so we don't have to battle each other anymore the war is over So what is the outcome of listening to Jesus' commandment to love as he has loved us? And that's my final point, the outcome of obedience. Let's look at verse 35 one more time. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we love one another across differences and disagreement, the world takes notice because it's not the world It's not the way of the world. Uh, Tim Keller uh, has this great quote. It's a little bit longer, but uh, I think it's really worth uh, sitting on together. There are enormous resources in the gospel for being receptive and loving to people with whom we deeply differ. If you build your identity on what Jesus did for you, 
you will become something far better than tolerant. We will be able to sharply disagree with all love, respect, deference, and humility. Secularism does not give us the resources to have these kinds of conversations and relationships as we need them. Secularism says, let's all be tolerant our way. You've got to adopt our relativism, our skeptical epistemology, or else we will consider you not safe. That makes a mockery of the very idea of tolerance. Christianity says Jesus sacrificed his freedom so we could be accepted as we are, and yet the sacrificial love enabled us to grow and change. We will try to love you in the same way. Right now, the church looks more like the world, but that is not what the world needs from us. There are few things more needed today than millions of Christians who know how to talk and love across barriers of difference. There are few things more needed today than for us to love across difference, to love like Jesus, who loved across the greatest difference the world has ever known, the difference between heaven and earth. So what could this love look like on the ground? Again, Keller says, if you dump the practices, grace just remains a proposition. It just stays up here. So we need to adopt some practices that will help us live this out. So how might we practically obey Jesus this year? That's what I want to finish with. Just a few things. First, let's act from our identity more than our affiliations. You see, the world wants us to build our identity on our affiliations. But the identity that you've been given in Jesus is more important than how you feel about our new president or your opinions about the pandemic. And so let's act and speak as if we really are family in Jesus. Next, let's practice Christ's love languages. I know uh, I remember uh, in premarital counseling, uh, reading some of the portions of that book, um, you know, love languages, uh, you know, acts of service, words of affirmation, um, and those kinds of things. You know, the scripture teaches us that Jesus um, was, a, was mighty in word and deed. Word and deed. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so even if a fellow Christian is being immature, you don't have to add fuel to the fire. So let's put our love for the truth in action this year. Let's practice all of his love languages together. Thirdly, let's pray like Jesus. Don't just pray that God would change uh, your, your, you know, Christian, the other Christian's mind, the person that's getting on your nerves, the person uh, with whom you disagree. You know, have you ever prayed like this? Um, Dear Jesus, uh, Lord, I, I pray for Joe. Joe just needs your help in seeing things the way I see them. Joe is just totally blind. Um, and so, Lord, help, help Joe think more like me. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you don't have to admit that you pray like that because uh, I'll do it for you. Sometimes I find myself doing that in my heart. But Jesus wants us to pray like him when, where in John 17, he prays for all believers throughout history and says, 
uh, Father, make them one, perfectly one, like I am one with you, Father. And so we need to pray like Jesus. We need to pray for unity with each other. If there's sharp disagreement, let's pray for unity. And lastly, and finally, let's intertwine to shine. So uh, in Redwood Forest in California, I've never been there, sadly. I want to go someday. Um, But that's where the world's tallest trees grow. And uh, the world's tallest tree, uh, according to Google, is 375 feet tall, uh, which is 100 feet taller than the U.S. Capitol building. Imagine that. So I learned um, that their root system uh, for this tree uh, only goes six feet into the ground, so six feet down. Okay, so imagine me, about six feet tall, but above me is a tree nearly 400 feet tall. So the roots only go down six feet, but they go out 100 feet. And the roots intertwine with the other roots of the uh, redwood trees around them. And so it forms this system of stability in order to make them soar and grow higher and higher than any tree in all the world. And I think this is a really good metaphor for our discipleship, right? That Jesus intends for us to be fully alive, soaring because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us and to live the abundant life that's available to us in Christ. But we need the stability of the church. We need each other to intertwine, even with those who are hard uh, to like and to love at times. For it's when we have our unity in diversity uh, that we shine the most. And that, that, that unity and diversity is evidence that we live in another kingdom, that there is another kingdom that God is building in Jesus. And so by his grace this year, beloved church, we can make the gospel more than a proposition. And we can learn uh, to together listen to love one another even as he has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, you are making all things new through your Son. Lord, begin with us. Begin with me. I need help. I need more of your love. And I'm sure my friends and my family do too. So come through your spirit to make us more like Christ this year. To listen to someone who loves us across the greatest difference, across the greatest divide. To love enemies. Help us to be like him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So before we sing our final uh, hymn, we are going to confess uh, our faith. And we're going to confess our faith uh, through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed, written around 300 AD, uh, is essentially, in a nutshell, what Christians everywhere have always believed. Okay, so if you want to know what Christians believe, you can look at the Apostles' Creed. It's a distillation of the scriptures. Um, But one theologian pointed this out, that the only part of the creed that we can see with our eyes is the part that says, I believe 
in the universal church, the communion of saints. You know, um, we don't always like what we see. Uh, and yet, we believe that God is behind it, that God is doing a work in us. And so I hope that you'll confess every bit of it, even that part, believing that Jesus is making all things new, including us. And so let's, if you would, please stand uh, for the confession of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his holy Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion for saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.